Hedman battling for the puck along the side boards. Garland goes in there, so does McCabe, and it comes loose for the Lightning. Little give and go attempt here. Kalorn to Sorelli. Now Kalorn, he's in a glove. Just goes. He scores. There it is. Lightning history. Steven Stankos with goal number 500. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen. History made by Steven Stamkos. He becomes the 11th first overall pick to reach the 500-goal plateau. He does it in under 1,000 games, which is super, super impressive, considering that at one point, I'm not so sure that we thought that Steven Stamkos was going to get there. You know, he had the the broken, the gruesome broken leg, which ended up costing him a spot with the Olympic team. Then, you know, the the core surgery in which he missed an entire playoff run, essentially, um, did end up getting to raise the Stanley Cup during that season. But I think when we look back on, on Steven Stamkos' career, we think of one that he had to endure a little bit. You know, he didn't always get along with, his coaches. Um, some would say that he had a, a rougher start to his career, even though I, I don't think that that's actually the case. And he didn't really get along with John Cooper in his early tenure with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And yet, here we stand, Stephen Stamkos, over a 1,000 points. Oh, he's got 500 goals. He's, he's going to eclipse the 1,000 the game mark as well. He's won a Rocket Richard. He's won Stanley Cups. He's the captain of his team. He's the greatest player in his organization's history, no question. And yet, we still think that there's more here for Steven Stamkos. 500 goals yesterday. Alex Kalorn makes a great play on the goal. And you have to ask yourself, what exactly was Ilya Mikheyev thinking at that particular moment? Because he comes back down on the back check. Hey, kudos to him for back checking. And then he just goes over and sells out to Alex Kalorn, who makes him A, look silly, B, out of position. And then Kalorn makes the great play pass over Stamkos basically for an empty net. Not quite the one-timer from the Stamkos or Ovechkin spot or whatever that we were all hoping for. Um, But thankfully for Dave Randorf, who was on the call there for Bally Sports, um, it wasn't a scramble in front where he didn't know that Steven Stamkos had scored. That was one thing that that Dave had said earlier this week that he didn't want to happen. And thankfully for him, it didn't. But back to Stamkos. When when I think of, of Stamkos, the player, I don't I I think of a humble player. Uh we had him on earlier this season after he had eclipsed the thousand point mark. And what I gathered from that conversation that was had was a very humble hockey player. A guy who not that he's just happy to be there because you, you got to work to get to where he's gotten to, but you know, he appreciates everything that's come along the way for him. And he, he's not a bombastic guy. He's not, he's certainly not a, a largely outspoken guy, but he's a very thoughtful man. And, and the conversation that Jeff had with him talking about, you know, what he would do with his kids and and how he grew up and playing different sports. And it shouldn't always be about hockey and develop other skills. And all these things made me think that, that that's a, a really, really thoughtful human being. And and that's what I, I gather from Steven Stamkos. I'd like to think that, that I played a little bit of a part in Steven Stamkos's as Lance behind the glass shakes his head when his brother Andre team in high school beat my King city secondary school in the playoffs 
knocked us out. I'm sure like, like Lance says, I'm sure it'll be in a hall of fame speech, but congratulations to Steven Stamkos on 500 goals. Um, reaching it in under a thousand games. It, it, I mean, 500 goals is incredible to begin with, but to reach it in under a thousand games, like that's very rare air. And the way that he got there, enduring injury, enduring, you know, not getting along with his coaches. I think that a, a lot of props should be given out to Steven Stamkos and, and not, and, and another thing from last night, props to the Vancouver Canucks fans. I mean, they haven't had a lot to cheer for this year, but thankfully um, they were cheering for Steven Stamkos, gave him a standing ovation at Rogers place. And, uh, and it was a really, a really nice night for Steven Stamkos. The lightning beat the Canucks. They've won five in a row and they're on a collision course with the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round of the playoffs. God knows the Leafs have to be at least mildly concerned about going up against Steven Stamkos and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So as we start off the show, congratulations to Steven Stamkos on 500 goals. The next milestone 1,000 games awaits very shortly. Let's get it started. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Just waiting to connect here with Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts as he makes his way to Owen Sound ahead of Hockey Day in Canada. Um, Jeff is off today. He's off tomorrow as well. He is also in Owen Sound for Hockey Day in Canada. Joining us uh, as well on the program today, Ian Mendez from The Athletic. We'll talk about what happened in Ottawa last night. Brady Kachuk puts on a show. Uh, Arda Ocal will join us at 1 o'clock from ESPN as we look around the league. And Arda actually wanted to take part in today's random player of the day, so we'll do that at 1 o'clock. And then at 1.35, Ken Weeb from Sportsnet, uh, the Winnipeg Jets, one of the best teams in the league right now. They are 8-2-0 in their last 10 as they get set to face the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the aforementioned Elliot Friedman joining me on the line right now. Elliot, how's the drive so far? You know what? It's a little foggy, uh, but it's uh, otherwise good. Like when you... When you wake up and you see freezing rain alert and you've got a, a two-hour drive, you're like, this is going to be interesting, but so far, so good. I'm a, I'm a confident driver, Matt, Not so I, I'm hoping this is going to be okay. I, I've always said, and I've, I've only driven there once, but I, I drove in southern Italy, and I would take driving in freezing rain and snow that we get over that spot any day of the week. You don't even have to put a gun to my head for that one so uh seriously because like i've i've driven northern italy i drove i drove venice to the swiss border like lake lugano and yeah and i and the people warned me they're like you're crazy for wanting to drive there and i loved it like i i really do believe this i I really believe this matt if you can drive in toronto you can drive anywhere well i'll go you one further if you can drive in southern Italy, then you can drive anywhere. The roads are like a lane. They're like a car and a half wide. It's not, it's not well, good. And you're driving on the side of a mountain most of the time. Okay. I, I yeah, I, this is interesting. I'm going to have to do this because one of the most challenging rides I ever did. And anybody who listens to this, who's been to Hawaii, uh, knows what I'm talking about here. There's something called the road to Hannah. Okay? Oh yes. I've heard of that. Yes, and there's a back road, and I don't know if it's different now because I haven't done it in a long time, but there's a back road that the rental companies tell you if you drive on this, you void your insurance. Like, we're not, 
we don't want and I hope I'm not like going to get in trouble 20 years retroactively or whatever it is. But of course, because I don't listen to rules or instructions, I did it. Like I drove that back road and it was dicey at some points, but I loved it. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this, particularly in Vancouver, because people in Vancouver, BC, they go to Hawaii is a big vacation spot for them. I, I, I'm sure that they've done this all the time. But that was, I don't know if it's southern Italy, but that was, at some point, it's a pretty dicey drive. Yeah, I would imagine that it's very much the same. I mean, it's certainly not like uh, like some of the places I've seen, but yeah, it's it wasn't, it wasn't ideal. My wife was white-knuckling it basically the whole time that we were driving, so that was, so that was fun. Anyway, enough about driving, but do but have a safe travel. That's because you're probably like a terrible oh, driver. Oh, no, no, I'm, a, I'm actually a very good driver, Elliot. I'm very confident yeah, I, in my ability. Hosting yeah, a radio not, show is a different not, story. Not, yeah, you're not good at anything. I find this hard to believe. You know, it's fun. now that you mention that, um, I actually had somebody text me and be like, Elliot's really hard on you. Does he really not like <laughs> you? I'm like, no, we're we're fine. Don't worry. I've known Elliot for a long <laughs> yeah, we're time. We're fine. Um, okay, so last night, uh, let's start <laughs> with the obvious here. Steven Stamkos, 500 goals. And, and I said it in my opening, like there was a time that I did not believe that this was going to happen, Elliot, because, you know, yeah. after that broken leg, I really thought like that's going to be really hard to come back from. And he did. And then he had the core muscle injury, which basically kept him out of a whole playoff run. Um, when we look back on the career and it's a Hall of Fame career for sure. How will we describe Steven Stamkos? Well, you know, he also remember the blood clot too that yes. cost him a good chunk of a of a playoffs. Yeah, you know who I thought had a really great uh, had a, had a great point last night was uh, was Stewie. So he he stayed late with Carolyn and 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 they worked the um, they worked that game and 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 Stewie had a great comment about how the unfortunate thing about all of the injuries that Stamkos had uh, early in his career is <laughs> if you um, if he had been a little more healthy, a lot more healthy, we he'd be in the Gretzky ch- or the uh, yeah the Gretzky chase. We would be talking about him the same way that you know we're talking about Ovechkin in terms of chasing uh, Gretzky's record. And I thought that was a great point. It was so good. I, I wish I'd thought of it to be perfectly honest. And um, I-, I think he's right. If you look at the the late later career resurgence and renaissance that Stamkos has had, um, I think he's completely right. And you know, I I think like I think Stamkos deserves a lot of credit. First of all, he's a really popular guy. Like there's a lot of people in the league who really like Stamkos. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. And and number two, uh, I think that you know he's he's supposed to be what everybody should uh, personify, right? Like perseverance. Like that, that guy. Like to me, that's the Masterton, right? Uh, perseverance, dedication to hockey. You know, he easily could have walked away. Um, oh darn! Like you know, I've had too many injuries. He's won his cup. Um, you know, he. They gave him a gold medal because he was supposed to make the Olympic team in in 2014, uh, but he got hurt. <laughs> um, hockey Canada gave him a gold medal, which I thought was an incredible gesture. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, like, that's everything that we are supposed to be about is bad things happen to us or unfortunate things happen to us, and we say, screw that, we're going to be successful anyway. 
And uh, I, I really do admire about that, about that, about him. And I thought Anthony really hit it out of the park last night. And I, I sent out a Twitter link to um, Dan Murphy's interview with him. I thought that was a really good interview post game. Yeah, I, I, I did see that. It was, it was very good. Now, you know, we talk maybe alternate universe, well, definitely alternate universe, but how close do you believe he was to, to leaving Tampa? Because, you know, there was a time where him and John Cooper didn't really get along. And, and if he yeah. does leave Tampa, we may be having a different conversation about what Steven Stamkos' career looks like, too. I, I don't think he was ever close. I, I, I think he, I, you know, I, I think that what happened was Steve Eiserman said, here's my line, I'm not going past it. And I, I think he owed it himself to take a look and see what else was out there uh, because I, I think he felt like just pure market value, he could do more. Um, and um, so I, but like, I think when he got into those meetings, I don't think there was anything that ever really made him think like, this is what I want more than the lightning. And so I, I can understand why you like, I guess you could say it was closer because he actually went and took meetings with teams like the Sabres and the, and the Sharks and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it was ever close because I don't think his heart was ever in it. I think he was a lightning and he always wanted to be a lightning. Yeah. Um, so congratulations to Steven Stamkos. 500 goals in less than a thousand games is, is super impressive for, for anybody at any level. Um, you had a sit down with Connor Hellebuck yesterday, you and Jeff. Um, any anything, any main takeaways from it? I know it'll be uh, released next Wednesday, but was there anything that stood out to you in your conversation with him? Well, I, I think the, the one of the things was like he had a few really good things. Like he wrote a children's book, and you know I wanted to uh, highlight that, and he he read a couple of pages from it, and uh, it was really cool hearing him talk about it. Um, you know, he's a big mental health guy and especially mental health for children. Like there's a lot of things about that book that are great. It's a kid's book. It's a flip book. Um, uh, he, I, I have it. It's, it's really well done. It's really cool. Um, and he, like he donated a bunch of grades in his, uh, the, the, the elementary school he went to in Michigan. They've donated some, uh, to, uh, schools in, in Winnipeg. Like, he's making no money off this, and the costs were eaten by him, his agent, and the Jets. Um, they donated the whole bunch, and they're on sale at the Jets online. And if it project, the letter to the Jets in honor of Rick Rippon. So, like, hearing him reading a page from the book and why it was important to him, I thought that was really cool. Um, you know, he talked about 2000. 18, uh, the, the Jets run that year, and the uh, and this team, the way they play right now. And he also talked about the guys who he hates. And, you know, not surprisingly, one is Corey Perry. And we'll talk about, we'll leave it to the other ones who are else, but so people here, but. Uh, Ellie, we're, we're having uh, trouble hearing you here, uh, maybe going through a battery. We're going to give you a call back. Um, that drive to Owen Sound, I'm sure, is filled with dead spots. Um, interesting on, on Connor Hellebuck, and, and Elliot mentioned how he's a big mental health advocate for for not only, obviously, himself, but um, for children as well. And 
And I, I wonder how much of that, and when we get Elliot back on, we'll, we'll have that conversation. How much of that has, has been brought into his play this year and, and kind of where he was last year at, at this time of the season, because it wasn't a, it wasn't a great year for, for Connor Hellebuck last year. It it was, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a good year for the Winnipeg Jets last year. And, and we see, we we'll see Connor Hellebuck and, and Elliot joins us uh, back on the line here. I was just saying, you know, you mentioned Connor Hellebuck being a, a big advocate for mental health, not only his own, of course, but for children as well. But when we look at Hellebuck's season comparatively to last year, how much of, of his success this year is, is him just being in a better place right now? Well, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that's a great, uh, a great point. Like, you know, like Matt, like everybody out there who's listening to this, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a good place mentally, you, you're going to be in a, you're going to do a better job. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, like rocket science or rocket surgery is one of my friends likes to say, it's not rocket science. Like if you're just in a better place, you're going to do better. And, uh, but you know, one of the things he talked about was the predictability and, um, you know, like he knows where shots are going to come from now. They're they're playing some way where, you know, like hockey's a very random game. Stuff happens that you can't prepare for and control. But the 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 best predictor, one of the most important pathways to success, is can you make shots predictable? Can you defend well enough that your goalie knows where the shots are coming from as much of the time as possible? And it's very clear that the way the Jets are playing right now, that he that he feels that way. There's always going to be the random nature, but I, I think he feels that his team defends very well and makes his job a little more predictable. Um, just on the conversation of elite goalies, and I, and I know we've talked about it, you know, over the course of, of this season, and what I keep coming back to with, with the, you know, there's, there's not very many elite goalies. There's not a lot of guys that play, you know, nobody plays 70 games anymore. It's just not how the position works, but are we kind of getting into, you know, quote unquote relief pitcher territory with goalies in that for in large part, a lot of them are very unpredictable. Like look at Jacob Markstrom. Um, that's a, a prime example of a guy who was an elite goaltender last year and has really struggled this year. There's also, you know, we can have the conversation about how Igor Shesterkin's season started and he was the best goalie in the league last year. And then on the yep. flip side, Connor Hellebuck wasn't very good last year. And now he is, you know, having a Vezina trophy type season. Is that how teams are kind of looking at the position, which is maybe why we see more teams go with uh, closer to a 50, 50 split in their tandem rather than having the one guy carry the load a lot of the time. Well, I think one of the things that I really feel uh, is that you know we're we're learning more about rest and physically and mentally more than ever, and I I just think that you know with the way travel is particularly in the Western Conference, the days of the seventy game goalies or even the sixty five game goalies those are over. Um, the game is more offensive than ever. Not in terms of, I, I think, goals necessarily. I mean, there were more goals scored in games a long time ago. But I, I think that just the amount of pure shooters, the amount of skill, the amount of players who are really dangerous to score, I think that's more than ever. I, I just think that the, the, I think the, the position of playing goal is, is, is harder than it's ever been. Like, I, I think the game 
swung towards goaltending in a big way about 20 to 25 years ago, and I think they've taken it back. Uh, they've slimmed down the equipment a little bit. Um, they've, uh, you know, they, the, the players now, like the fourth lines, everybody can score. The shooting now, everybody's so skilled. I think that's what's changed it as much as anything else, Matt. I, I think, but I, I do think that the number of absolute stud goalies uh, has changed. Like, even though Halibut had a bad year last year, I still think he's a, stu- a stud goalie, and I think it was as much the product of the environment. The whole, the whole organization had a bad year last year. Yeah, like we like we thought that team was going to be a really good team. It was a nightmare season for them, and I think he went down with the ship. Now I think he came back. He's very different. He's 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 much more. Uh, uh, he, he's in a better place this year. And the whole team is in a better place. But that doesn't mean I think that Hellebuck wasn't an elite goalie. I think he had a bad year. You know, Shesterkin, you mentioned his start to the year. To me, that doesn't mean he's not an elite goalie. It means he just had a bad start. Like, like nobody's perfect. Nobody's great for 82 games. Uh, but as Merrick said to him yesterday, he was talking about it. He said that when you're a goalie and you make a mistake, your mistakes stand out more than anybody else but I just don't think it means that you're no longer elite. That's a, it's a fair point. Um, and I don't disagree with that. Elliot Friedman joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick show. Um, okay. So on that conversation, you talk about the environment, how much of, of what's gone on is due to Rick bonus coming in because Josh Morrissey's having a, a breakout season. Pierre-Luc Dubois is having a breakout season. The Jets are are absolutely rolling. In a year where we thought they may be sellers, they really do look like they're going to be buyers. So how much of that is just, you know, the calming influence of of Rick Bonus here? Well, I I do think, you know, you mentioned John Cooper uh, before. I, I think that what happened this year in Winnipeg is another example of why, uh, what Cooper has done is really impressive. I, I think it's borderline impossible to be a, a coach of a team now for 10 years. Um, like, like I think in Winnipeg, they just need a new voice. And that's not a rip of Paul Maurice or anything like that. I think what happens is sometimes, like I think in Winnipeg, it got stale. And you know what, Matt, it, it happens in marriages. It happens in friendships. It happens in business. It happens everywhere in the world. Like, you know, like sometimes people just get sick and tired of being told what to do by the same person or talking to the same person. And uh, I just think that's what happened in Winnipeg. I think it got stale and bonus came in and, you know what? He's given tough love too. Like he took the C off Blake Wheeler. You think that was, you know, easy for, uh, for anyone? Do you think that, you know, like that was hard. That's a hard thing to do because, you know, you never know how people are going to take it, but they walked in, he walked in there and he said, you know what? There's, there needs to be change and we're going to make change. And, and, and this is how you're going to play. And the players, because last year stunk so bad, they bought into it. And I think that's what you need. I think you need buy-in. I think you need a new voice. 
I, I just think that that was proof that, you know, you, you can't trade your whole roster. But what you can do is you can try to have a new person deal with the roster. And I think that's what happened. And I think he came in, he made one move that showed he meant business. And the other thing is the, the players bought in to the way he wanted them to play. Uh, a couple of things here before I let you go. Um, Jonathan Taves. So he said uh, a change of scenery might be good for him, might be good for the team. Um, if there was any, if there's anybody that I look at around the league as a, you know, a real short-term rental where, you know, he gets traded somewhere and then, and then returns to Chicago and finishes off his career or finish, uh, returns to the team that traded him. Jonathan Taves feels like that guy to me just because of what he's meant to that organization. Where do you think this thing goes? Well, I think the thing is, like, I do think that's a big part of this, that both Kane and Taves never thought the day would come where they would leave Chicago. Like, I, I think the two of those guys uh, have really had a difficult time wrapping their heads around that. I, I think it's absolutely true. You know, the thing is, though, uh, uh, Matt, is that the team's got to want to sign you. And I, I don't know that the Blackhawks, like, part of me is like, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, I think the Blackhawks want, maybe want to move on. Now, I, I think both of those guys would definitely consider staying, but I'm not convinced that's what the organization wants to do. So we'll let this play out and we'll see where it goes. Like, the tougher thing with Kane is the injury, right? Yeah. Um, like, we just don't know where this is going to go. So, um, you know, I, I think we have to determine, number one, Kane's health, and number two, what the organization wants. What What do you think? Because that the thing, the other thing that, <clears throat> I mean, we've talked about it, but the other thing that we, we need to also understand is that there's a lot of money attached to both of those guys. So so what's the appetite for trading for a guy like Jonathan Taves? And, and is he one of those guys that it's going to probably take a third team to make this thing work? Well, I, w- I would clarify one thing. There's, there's a lot of cap room, but by NHL standards, there's not a lot of money um, b- because they both had big bonuses this year. So a lot of their salary this year is already paid. Um. So, but yes, I, I do think in both cases, it, there there might need to be a third team involved. Do you, do you have a do you have a sense of who might be looking at Taze? Because, I mean, he's he's the fact that he's even playing after what he dealt with is is incredible to me. But I you know a team like maybe maybe Colorado makes a little bit of sense if they're looking to shore up the middle. But I mean. Anybody else, I'm not quite sure what teams are looking for. And what do you give up for Jonathan Taves at this point in his career, too? Um, I uh, I think they're looking at, like, a second or third round pick, probably. That's what a couple of teams told me. Um, that's what they think. Um, I, I think there's some, like, like, I think it all depends on, like, to me, the, the two guys at the top, like, the two guys at the top of the chain are Meyer and Horvat, at least for forwards. And then I think we'll see where it goes from there. Like, I think it could come down to who's standing uh, after that. But I'm sure it's like Colorado. It's like Edmonton. It's like, um, 
Uh, I wonder if Winnipeg would do it. Uh, I really do. I think that would end up being a, a heck of a story, really. Uh, um, like, uh, but those are the kinds of the teams I, I think about. And then, but the one thing I wonder about is, like, like I think with Meyer, there's a chance that he could be the first guy to go. Because I think there are some teams who are looking at it and they're trying to figure out, is that, is, is this what we do? So I kind of, I kind of wonder if this is like a, a, if Meyer and what happens with him kind of determines the rest of the market. But I don't want to say that's a hundred percent what's going to happen, but that's one of the things I'm kind of wondering about right now. And Meyer's got a big QO. I think it's well, like nine I million think or what's something. Gonna, right? I think what's going to happen there, uh, Mar- uh, Marchese, is uh, I think the Sharks, if they find a deal they like, they'll let the other team, the next team, talk to Meyer. Okay. Uh, I, I do think that's going to happen. Um, I, I think I, I think the Sharks have indicated that if there's a trade they like, teams will be able to talk to Meyer. Well, that would that would make sense. That that QO is pretty big. Um, I mean, he may yeah. end up making more AAV than the QO, but I'm uh, that's one thing that has to be considered. Uh, before we let you go here, Brady Kachuk last night, um, and you did pick him over brother Matthew on the broadcast the other night from the Leafs Panthers game, so good on you. Um, but to me, it's scary to think how good he's going to be when he hits his ceiling. Like four points last night, he's a big body, he's nasty, he fights, he hits, he literally does everything that you would want in a captain and, and a really good player. How, like, what do you think the ceiling is for this guy? Because I don't think that we're there yet. Anywhere close, actually. Uh, with, with Well, the reason I picked Brady is because he's younger. Yeah, but he's, um, he's pretty good. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. He did okay. No, but I'm saying you get him for two more years than you get Matthew, right? In theory? Yeah. You get him, you, you get that prime. So, uh, look, like, the one thing about that guy is, He's serious. He wants to get better. And, like, you know, like, like that, that's everything you want in a player. He's, he, he, like, he's, he's, a, he's already a good player. He wants to be an even better player. Um, he, he wants to, he, 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 and, like, and he's your captain. Like, what's not to like? Um, you know, I know this has been a hard year in Ottawa. I know. The, the toughest thing in this, like, there, there's two really tough levels you have to go. What it takes to learn how to win and get better, and then once you're expected to win when everybody's coming after you. Ottawa is going through those two phases right now, and they'll be better for it. I, I have no doubt that that's the case. You just He's going to be a great player. He already is a great player. I, I just think they they have to go through the growing pains. And, Whether people like it or not. And and that they certainly are. I got a note from Jonathan Davis who says the drive on the Amalfi Coast is both beautiful and frightening at the same time. So there's another one to add to your bucket list, Frege. Well, I got to tell you, it wouldn't surprise me if if a Davis in particular was another cowardly driver. He's <laughs> just a generally cowardly human. Uh, it's okay. He gives good he gives good information when gambling. So yes, I'm he okay does. He's very good on that. He's yes, very good his, on that. His podcast yeah. is awesome. Shout out Jonathan Davis and the uh, the hockey betting podcast. It's great. Uh, Freed, safe drive the rest of the way, and uh, we will chat with you tomorrow, buddy.
All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. There he goes. Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada.